Yeah, let's try to not yell today. Experiment. <laughs> okay, just be very zen. Just, you know, just be you, <laughs> but in a calm way. Speak as if you're talking to yourself. I think the <laughs> I think the thing is is that we we like imagine that there's like a lot of people listening. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I almost talk like as if I was on stage. I wonder if when we just talk in person to each other, if we speak that loudly. But I've heard in the past people telling me that I'm a very loud person. Like oh, when I shit. when I talk to someone. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be quiet. But I feel like usually you talk very quietly. Like Yeah, I do. I do. But I have other problems with my talking. Yeah, you're just very slow. <laughs> I'm very slow and I, I say um every two seconds dude every every other week when i edit an episode i always try to like cut out a few ums and like a few like mm -hmm. or just mm -hmm. um yeah see now i did it again i'm like um <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone welcome hey. back to the podcast nice to talk to you again carla and everyone i mean <laughs> You're not talking, but I'm going to imagine that you are part of the conversation. Yeah, we're back and we're back with an OG psychoanalytic topic. It's basically where it all started. It really is. But you know, when I when I researched it, I kind of felt like we say that every other episode. I always, I don't know why, <laughs> I have the feeling that like every other thing we say is like, that really was the foundation of Freud's work, you know? <laughs> It's so hypocritical. But you know what, actually? You know what? I think the issue is that he did so much in so little time. Mm, he was a busy man. Like, it, it all happened in, like, a couple years. All his important work. It's not like, oh, in whatever, 1840, he did this, and then in 1900, he did this. Yeah, true. And I guess today's topic, the difference is that today's topic is like a diagnosis. So the pathology, right. like a certain illness was the basis of his work and kind of his thoughts that inspired his entire psychoanalytic thinking. So today we're talking about hysteria. Yeah, and hysteria, it's so misunderstood. And I think When we talk about words that are used in everyday language, hysteria is one of the craziest ones. Because, because people are like, oh, you're so hysterical. True. In that sense, it's really used in the wrong way. It's really mm -hmm. used in the wrong way. It's like either an insult when somebody's overreacting, mm -hmm. but also hysterical as hilarious. I don't really understand. I love using it as hilarious. I love it. I love <laughs> saying like, oh my God, that was so hysterical as in that was so funny. I don't know why. Yeah, it's such Because a strange I, like I usage always, of the word. I o always imagine someone laughing like manically when I say something right. hysterical, you know, like crazy funny. Let's maybe start with the history. So the word hysteria comes from the Greek word word hystera which means uterus and the first right. records of hysteric patients go back to ancient egypt which is insane yeah 1900 bc mm -hmm. and then also there's quite a bit of records from hysteric patients or hysteric people i guess in ancient greece 
And what it was basically at that time, everything that was considered behavioral abnormalities in women, that's important. It was only connected to females. Right. Isn't it so funny to think like everything that was behavioral abnormalities in women was considered hysteric? Like we would all Dude, be completely this, hysteric. Okay, this literally proves what I said last episode about the the topic we were talking about, how it relates to gender. Because for some reason, a woman is associated with like irrational and random behavior. True. And the old explanation for this abnormal behavior was that there is an abnormality in the womb like the the, the uterus more specifically is wandering around and that was also associated with a possible inability to bear children and even marry (laughs) yeah so like the so the egyptians said that it was a wandering uterus and then the greeks said that the definition of hysteria was the inability like you said to bear children and the failure to marry and then the romans got rid of the wandering uterus mm. but they stuck to the greek definition yeah. that it's basically a, a disru- disruption in also reproduction like pe- like women who yeah. had miscarriages or even menopause were considered yeah which hysteric. is like every single woman if you make it that far exactly <laughs> But all of these concepts were a basis for the later Western understanding of hysteria. And also, probably, it was just like PMS. True. (laughs) It was just like people getting their periods. Yeah, everyone's just hysteria. And being emotional. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, it was kind of an umbrella term for quote-unquote female problems. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, when you like... um, when you're like a teenager and you don't want to tell your dad or your brothers or whatever that you're on your period. So you're just like, I'm having female issues. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Or in school. Exactly. Your teacher and they're really uncomfortable. You might as well say, I'm having a hysteric phase. Yes. <laughs> okay. But yeah, then after basically from the 5th to the 13th, 14th century, everything around that illness was associated with sin and shame and the satanic possession because that was also the time of like witch hunts and all these beliefs that's pretty crazy and then in the 16th 17th century that was when for the first time hysteria was perceived as an actual medical condition so that's where it kind of it started to turn around i'm trying to drink really quietly (laughs) So that was the 16th, 17th century. And then where it really gets interesting for us is the 19th, 20th century. Where (laughs) Where it really gets interesting. (laughs) This is where it gets juicy. (laughs) Is, um, yeah, 19th, 20th century because that's where there was a very strong psychiatric interest in hysteria. Right. And that's especially where the French dudes came in. Um, So Pierre Jeunet... Very got well this, said. Got this. Um, oh my god, that reminds me of when we made up weird names for ourselves. Okay, anyway, we, we have um, Lola and I have, and another friend. We have French alter egos, but we we do. We won't get into this now. Okay, so basically, this dude Pierre Genet. So he got a sponsorship from Charcot, and he was the one who opened up the laboratory. Mm-hmm. And Charcot was like a really renowned French neurologist at that time. Yeah, in so so Charcot was wasn't really the one who did the work. He was just like the one who funded the project. Mm-hmm. 
So he convinced doctors that hypnosis uh, was a really powerful kind of way to do therapy. I think with all patients, but I guess the patients that he worked on were hysteric patients. Yeah, I think he was just, I read that he was just especially interested in hysteria Mm -hmm. and therefore mainly treated hysteric patients. And what's also crazy to think about is that at that time, patients were not treated one-on-one, but there was like a huge group of doctors and other specialists. And then one patient who came in and basically this patient was like displayed in front of everyone, but not like in a circus kind of manner where they would laugh and stuff, but more like in a, oh, how interesting. Look, Mm -hmm. this patient has this and this kind of like that. And then he would hypnotize also the patients in front of this group. And he wrote, which I think is like such a good quote and a good kind of way to conceptualize hysteria. The result of the very idea the patient has of his accident. That's what hysteria is. So the patient's own idea of the pathology is translated into a physical disability. So basically what he's saying, which is not yet like what Freud kind of developed it into, what he's saying is that something happened to, to the patient, some kind of accident. Mm-hmm. And the way that the patient feels about this accident is being translated into their symptoms. I see. Because we, maybe we got to mention, we didn't properly mention that, that hysteric patients had like a variety of symptoms Mm -hmm. but most of them were somatic so most of them were like manifested in the body yeah so i think also hysteria is a very broad term when you think Mm. about it historically so but it says like pierre Janet specifically focused on like five hysterical symptoms Mm -hmm. and these were anesthesia amnesia abulia what the hell does that mean wait i'm gonna look it up Fantastic. Now my internet is super slow. Oh, there we go. Abulia. Oh my god, no. It's just when you're really indecisive. Oh my god, <laughs> no. so funny. Wait, it says... In neuro- okay, no. That was too simplistic. It says, in neurology, abulia refers to a lack of will or initiative and can be seen okay. as a disorder of diminished motivation. Oh my god. Basically what all of us have Basically had for the me. last year. <laughs> we all suffer from abulia. Okay, so five hysterical symptoms, anesthesia, amnesia, abulia, which is lack of motivation, but like pathological (laughs) lack, Um, motor control diseases, and modification of character, (laughs) whatever that means. Mm, Very broad. (laughs) Um, So those were considered the hysterical symptoms to look out for when he was working. Yeah. So that was Janet and Chacot in Paris, and then... Freud actually studied under Charcot in Paris in 1885, and he was very inspired by the way that Charcot generally worked, like with hypnosis, with suggestion, with all these doctors there. And you have to remember at that time, Freud was a neurologist, like he was a doctor, and he was well known in Vienna or known, but he did not he didn't do anything with psychoanalysis yet. Like he was in the in the very early stages of probably also developing his ideas. And that Mm -hmm. time with Charcot really inspired him because he saw these cases like in front of his own eyes of women being, I don't know, paralyzed or having migraines, etc. And kind of being treated with hypnosis. So he came back to Vienna 
from Paris kind of motivated to start working with these techniques here as well. And he also wanted to advertise these treatments as like an alternative to, to the treatment techniques that were used here and were considered more classical. It's also very important to mention, we have now reached a very critical point because until now, sorry, until Freud, <laughs> or until the point we're at in our historical talk, it was believed that hysteria was the consequence of the lack of conception and motherhood. So yes. this literally stayed until the 1800s. And Freud reversed this. And he said that hysteria is a disorder caused by a lack of libidinal evolution. So what does that mean? <laughs> so let's first talk about how he even got there. So Freud came back from Paris mm -hmm. and he started working with a colleague of his named Breuer, Dr. Breuer, who was like a physician in Vienna, pretty renowned. And Breuer had a patient oh my who God, was very interesting. Patient. The most famous patient in probably the history of psychology. Actually, the most famous patient Period, I think. So this patient was called Anna O, which was not really her name. Her real name was Bertha Pappenheim. But <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she was called Anna O and is known as Anna O. And she was a patient of Breuer's. And basically, she showed a number of hysteric symptoms. So she was treated for cough, for paralysis of basically her entire right side of the body, like her arm and her leg, for disturbed vision, disturbed hearing, disturbed speech, hallucinations, like mm -hmm. you name it, Anna had it. <laughs> and my favorite, mood swings. I yes. would fucking have mood swings too. Yes. <laughs> if everything was wrong with me. <laughs> yes, this is so true. <laughs> everything is fucked. And basically, you also your entire right side is paralyzed. You might like, have some mood why swings. Why would I be cheerful? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so basically, Anna O was treated by Breuer for like a long time. And Breuer consulted with Freud, who was obviously also a physician, um, about her symptoms and her treatment. And they she became this case that they both worked on. Interestingly enough, though, Freud never met her in his entire life. So he just heard of her, even though she heavily influenced his later theories that were the foundation of psychoanalysis. She ended up being cured, quote unquote, and became like, whatever, successful as a social worker and leader in women's movement in Germany, la la la. But what um, came out of this is that Freud and Breuer wrote a book called Studies on Hysteria in 1895 mm -hmm. together. And in, in this book, they wrote like five cases and they basically describe how the hysteric, how the hysteric person experiences the illness and how it may be overcome through gaining more insight and understanding where it comes from. And still this they did through suggestion, maybe I think hypnosis, etc. And through also this book and their cases, because Vienna is very small and was even smaller then, and they were both relatively known doctors, they kind of gained popularity and almost became these miracle workers because they cured this girl that was paralyzed. Um, and I think it's really interesting to also note that Breuer was the one who kind of came up with the treatment. 
like he was the one who concluded that symptoms, not only symptoms of what he called hysteria, but like being anxious, depressed, stressed, irritable, they were the result of unconscious processes. Mm-hmm. And we we kind of attribute that to Freud. But Breuer was the one who basically said that symptoms, like they can only be treated if these ideas are brought into consciousness. Exactly. The difference is just that these words didn't exist yet. Like it was Breuer's mm-hmm. idea, but of course... This was all before 1900, and F- Freud published the interpretation of dreams in 1900. So you have to think, like, while these theories already existed and Poya had them and discussed them with Freud, the terms of the unconscious or the pre-conscious, the conscious, etc., superego, they didn't exist yet. So it was probably harder to grasp what exactly is going on. Um, yeah, and going back to before, so I'll just repeat it. So Freud... Like right after this, he reverses this old thought of hysteria. Um, And he says it's a disorder caused by a lack of libidinal evolution. And basically, like the way that he said that, which I think is debatable, is um, that the person, like the hysterical person, is unable to live a mature, like, relationship. And I think what he meant by that is that, of course, Freud was obsessed with repressing sexual desires and impulses but i think it's more related to what janae said before about accident and i think we discredit freud too much because we read exactly what he said and i think it's also important to make it more broad so freud basically thought that hysteria is an expression of basically the body Mm. when mostly a woman represses early sexual conflicts yes and that it's basically your your body exactly playing out these repressed so unconscious feelings because you cannot allow yourself to feel them because they might be inappropriate or too aggressive or too anything basically it's your super ego that came in that comes in and doesn't allow for you to feel these things so your body plays them out it's it's such an early work so you need to remember that he has not written about the edible conflict Mm. and he hasn't written about so many things but you can tell when you look at it now that he already had a concept of these things because, I mean, hysteria is a result of an issue of your Oedipal phase. Yeah, and I imagine it in the way that Freud kind of probably had ideas about these structures in the mind. And like he was treating patients and parallel to the patients, he was writing his theories down, you know? So it was really a development of both at the same time. And he could like for himself prove these theories with what he saw on a daily in his praxis. He then published 1900, The Interpretation of Dreams, where of course for the first time he was talking about the id, the superego, ego, ego, etc. And then... He had his own first case study on a hysteric patient, so without Breuer, 
1905, so five years after he published that book. And this case was called Dora, and she was treated for migraine, cough, depression, and kind of losing her voice. And also there, Freud, again, as he was treating her, adapted his theories or elaborated on them. And he always kept seeing new things and, yeah, extending his theories, I guess. And what he saw there in this patient was that she had extreme gaps in her memory. Like she couldn't Mm -hmm. remember a lot of things about her life or upbringing. So there was a certain incohesiveness and cohesiveness in her life Mm -hmm. history and he also attributed that to repression again that there are things that you know she cannot remember because they have been repressed in the past and there he for the first time as i understood it really experimented and used the tool of free association so up till then he also had used hypnosis and suggestion But he then started to believe, rather than suggesting something to the patient, as you do also in hypnosis, you have to let the patient heal themselves through simply talking. Um, I think what I also really, really like that Freud came up with during this time is he started this idea of a symptom being a benefit. So he said that the symptom, so whatever symptom they have, is a primary benefit. And it basically allows the person to discharge the urge or that, when I said libidinal evolution, so it allows them to get rid of the libidinal energy that's linked to the unacceptable sexual desire. So it's really important also to have a concept of these symptoms. They're never random. And it's very, very interesting. It also relates to, you know, when we talk about psychosomatics but in these cases with these patients it was so important to use methods like free association because the symptoms they had were really direct expressions of what they were repressing so let's say their left side was numb or paralyzed there was meaning First of all, in the fact that it was paralyzed, but also in the fact that it was even the left side. Mm -hmm. So all these little details were so important. And the only way to really get rid of them was to figure out why. And Freud did not, in that sense, cure all of his patients. This was like over the span of, you know, whatever, 10 years, he treated a lot of hysteric women. Not all of them were cured. Like, for example, that last case that I quickly described, she actually left the treatment after 11 weeks but nevertheless Mm -hmm. he used all this material for his theories later on of just psychoanalysis not even something specific but like psychoanalysis in general how it works what it does how we our mind is shaped etc and then he like yeah just went on and developed them further i just wanted to elaborate on one thing there's like the Um, I mentioned the primary benefit, so it's to get rid of the energy and to kind of discharge uh, repressed material from your body. But there's also a huge secondary gain, which I think is really, really important also for all of us to keep in mind when we see anyone with any mental illness or anyone with problematic behavior. And the secondary gain is that you put yourself in a very useful position 
when you become sick or when you become like a lot of them couldn't take care of themselves. They needed people to care for them because of this inability to eat or move or whatever. And I think when when women in that time put themselves in this position, they really knew how to, I mean, obviously unconsciously, but they knew how to manipulate their environment. And they all of a sudden became this vegetable that other people had to care for and pity. And it really puts you in a position where, first of all, you don't have to feel guilt. And I think guilt is something that was very, very intense when these patients explored where their symptoms actually came from. And I think it's something that's really relevant today because I think a lot of people, especially especially people who are, um, I would say like hypochondriacs and stuff like that, they really, really want to put themselves in a position where other people have to care for them. Yeah. I mean, secondary gain is a huge topic in psychoanalysis like there's always something unconsciously within you that like benefits from whatever situation you're in Mm. like negative so to say situation I guess let's talk about hysteria today because the diagnosis does not exist anymore in that sense as it did back then because of what we said earlier that just the symptoms are just too broad from like everything from a migraine to paralysis like everything was you know hysteria Today, there is a a diagnosis in psychiatry that is called a conversion disorder. And that is basically when a psychological problem manifests itself in the body. And Mm -hmm. not only is this seen in psychiatry, but in everyday life, like easiest example, kids who have stomach ache when they go to school, like that's also a conversion. So conversion disorder is one psychosomatic disease. And that is a bit problematic for me because I think when you talk about the field of psychosomatics, they kind of had to appeal to medicine too. So there's there's so many psychosomatic diseases, but they're not conversion disorders. I would say us as psychoanalysts, I think we would consider them conversion mm-hmm. disorders, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's a also just conversion, not in a sense of a disorder, but just conversion is something that I hear all yeah. the time also from my therapist. Like every time, like last year, ugh, I mean, last year I had a fucking knee surgery and my therapist said, well, you know, it's a conversion. And I was like, fuck off, you know, seriously, like, no, this is... <laughs> Dude, I had my fucking wisdom tooth taken out. Oh it's God. a conversion. Of course, I remember when I had mine <laughs> taken out, he also said it's a conversion. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the world of psychoanalysis. Basically, the importance of hysteria today, even though the diagnosis doesn't exist in that specific sense anymore, is that we see repression everywhere all the time like repressed trauma and trauma doesn't need to be of sexual nature like Freud said it and Mm -hmm. trauma doesn't need to be huge you know it's a scale like we all have our little traumas that we always also talk about on the podcast but they can manifest also in a somatic way and that is just a repression that is shown in our body right and also I just want to add in just to just to disprove quickly, I just want to come in here and fight people who are going to have this idea, which I get, I totally get. It's sexist. Um, it's not feminist. It's it should it's an old 
concept that should be, you know, discarded of. Um, of course, Freud started by studying women. And of course, that was something from its time. But I actually found a quote that he wrote about himself, which is very funny. So in 1897, Freud writes, After a period of good humor, I have a crisis of unhappiness. The chief patient I'm worried about today is myself. My little hysteria, which was much enhanced by work, took a step forward. So he calls himself a hysteric as well. Like he was also the first one to apply the hysteric concept to men in to general. Men. Yeah, to yeah, men. Yeah, we didn't but, mention that. Yeah. But just to make it clear, he considered himself a hysteric as well. So this isn't like a woman, a woman issue. Mm -hmm. It's just how it was first noticed. True. Yeah. Well, the concept just changed over time. But the core theory of hysteria, as Freud said it, is, I think, is still very valid. Not only in women, but also in men. And it's interesting because I read that Freud's theory on hysteria was dismissed for a really long time. Um, and is kind of getting, uh, how do you say it's like becoming in favor again today. You know, mm -hmm. it's getting a little boost. It's getting a little more attention because there's all these questions. Like, wasn't he right after all? Again, like modified, not that it's only women, but he also said it's men. Um, and trauma not necessarily being of sexual nature, but that there's nothing lost in our mind. Like, everything is stored somewhere. somewhere and um, nothing is lost. And it may manifest in your neurosis and your behavior, but also it may manifest in your body. And there is not much research done on hysteria today, but the one that has been done, I read, actually confirms Freud's theories. Yeah, which is that's pretty, true. Pretty interesting. I even have a hysteric or hysteria case study from my personal life, Ooh. which really, really convinced me that hysteria is real. Um, my brother, when he was like eight, all of a sudden. Um, his legs were paralyzed and it was really all of a sudden one day he couldn't stand up Whoa, okay. we went to so many doctors went to like emergency rooms hospitals so many people and they all had the same thought and opinion they all just said there's nothing wrong with him there's absolutely nothing wrong with him he's making it up and it was so obvious that he was not making it up because you could like pick him up and he would just crumble to the floor um so he really had like a conversion disorder and he had this paralysis and i think it was such a messed up age for him and he also went through real trauma and it was just so interesting that this happened to him and it went away after a few months so i wonder what i don't know what treated his yeah. symptom dude that's crazy that's so but intense. it really happened and it's so interesting because when you read about this i always ha have the sense that people think that there are no cases anymore mm -hmm. but there really are you just need to pay attention to it they're they're the cases where people are accused of making it up or they are diagnosed with things like um what's it called fibromyalgia the problem i think in medicine is that it's not called a conversion for some reason, doctors or the doctors that 
I was exposed to in that situation, and it was a lot of doctors. Not one single one said that. Of course, but that that's a whole different topic because that is just about our medical system today and how doctors are just really... Yeah, I just think that that's yeah. why we think that it doesn't exist, yeah, but it's true. just not named. Yeah, that is true. I think what's for me just so interesting about all of this is that Freud was so fucking brilliant in his recognizing, which we still believe today, that you know, memories, whether they're good or bad or whatever, they don't just go away. Mm -hmm. Like everything is saved in our minds and there is nothing lost. And that's such a cool thing about psychoanalysis that when you start going to psychoanalysis, you remember all these things, like not all of a sudden and it's work and you have to, you know, put in work, but it's a crazy moment. And I know you've had them as well when you all of a sudden remember something and there's something really cathartic and and healing about that yeah i think those are always the sessions where you leave and you really feel lighter yeah and you're you, like whoa i just really released something that i had stuck in there exactly and it's also the same with the dream i feel like how often does it happen that you know we wake up and we know we've had a dream but we cannot remember it and mm -hmm. for me then I always know like I didn't forget it it is there and maybe someday I will remember it and it's gonna be like whoa you know or maybe I won't I don't know but it's not just gone it's, yeah it's somewhere no, it, in there it really that's isn't. crazy and that's also like that's scientifically proven neuroscience has confirmed that so it's also not something that's specific to a psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic thinking yeah well we're all hysterics here obviously i am such a hysteric <laughs> so every time i do something i shouldn't do i get a rash <laughs> yep i think we've talked about this for me also neurodermitis definitely a hysteric thing Definitely conversion, because I always get my neurodermitis in one spot, which is so weird. And I wonder, I haven't figured out why it's that spot. The elbow thing? Or the arm? elbow thing, yeah. It's yeah. just in my elbow crease. And what did you do with your elbow? I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. But of course, according to our therapist, it's a very sexual place. And I'm like, is it though? <laughs> and it's a is bit, it? Is the elbow crease? Well, I guess that's what uh, allows you to do things. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we could we could interpret this in so many ways, but um, conversions are definitely real, and in that sense, hysteria is super super up to date and not something we can just. Oh dismiss. yeah, one one more thing before we go. Um, something that I find kind of hard is how because hysteria is no longer used and diagnosable. People say that it's most similar to histrionic and I kind of don't like that because the histrionic it's like a personality disorder and it's so based in this over-the-top behavior I feel like a histrionic person is just somebody who always has the mindset of being on a stage or always having an audience it's people who need a lot of attention a lot of confirmation They're basically just really dramatic. For me, I wouldn't use histrionic to describe somebody who has hysteria. Definitely not. I wonder when they got mixed up, these two terms. You know what I mean? 
because that means if someone is acting out you wouldn't say oh my god stop being so hysterical you would actually say stop being so histrionic yeah but it's weird because professors have said that in this time now you would use histrionic to diagnose a hysteric Mm -hmm. i don't get that either and i really don't get it i understand that they have kind of over-the-top behavior which is definitely linked to hysteria but you completely exclude basically the main part of hysteria which is all the physical symptoms yeah i don't know but anyway well we hope you guys enjoyed this little excursion in history and let us know what your conversions are please anyone else with elbow rashes (laughs) and if you have any remedies Yes. <laughs> we're in desperate need because they don't go away until we're doing better mentally. <laughs> yeah. Except stuff like wisdom tooth. Like I feel like that proves <laughs> that it's not necessarily a conversion because you're like, but look, it's healed. <laughs> you know? It, That's true. They don't grow back. <laughs> that would be a conversion. <laughs> but if they don't grow back, I feel like you're good. That's true, actually. It can only be a conversion if it doesn't get better. Yeah, or if it keeps returning. Like, I really know my yeah. my elbow crease neurodermitis thing always comes up when I'm stressed or anxious. Like, it's a thing. And then totally. it, and, and now you cannot see anything right now. Nothing. Yeah, no? and same. When it's there, it's, like, severe. Like, you can see it from, like, 10 meters afar. Okay, that's it's exaggerated, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, so it's really reoccurring. Dude, for me, it's so weird because it actually shows up in a specific place depending on what I'm going through. Also (laughs) so interesting, yeah. And it makes you feel so humiliated because it's almost (laughs) like the whole world has caught you. It's also kind of like your body is like fucking pranking you, you know, like, oh, look where it's now. And you're like, what the fuck? What is this? (laughs) Your body is like, oh, you think you think I don't know? Exactly. I know. Exactly. Your body is like, oh, let's play with this. You know, let's put it here. (laughs) Or I guess your mind is like that. And you're like, oh, come on. (laughs) Great stuff. Amazing. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Let us know for future ideas what you want to hear in the podcast etc yeah let us know also if you like the more psychology based content or psychoanalytic or philosophy philosophy (laughs) (laughs) because that's one of our themes now yeah we added it to the repertoire (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but seriously guys let us know your feedback as always and have a good day Bye.